Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What are some of your favorite animals, friends and neighbors? Personally, I'm a big fan of corvids and, you know, I like an octopus. Hi, I'm Ben. A cephalopod? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm Noel, and, and I too am a fan of uh, the cephalopods. Not the corvids, though, man. I know. Those sketchy little bastards can go straight to hell. Oh, they're great, though, Noel. They're great. and They just see shiny stuff, and they go, <laughs> they go at it. Well, you know, I mean, nobody's perfect for sure. The closest to perfect we know is, of course, our long-suffering super producer, Casey Pegram. I know, he's like Tinkerbell. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him floating around there. I hope he's not spying on us like some sort of crazy fairy drone. That would be ridiculous. Well, you know, we're in the right place for that, I guess. Right, because this is ridiculous history, and today we're... Diving into the world of subterfuge, of espionage, of spycraft, danger, and, you know, trench coats and fedoras, or maybe not. Give me some more. Oh, okay, more spy stuff? Yeah. Okay, uh, of... Are there hats? Will there be hats? Of course, uh, yeah, a, a wide selection of hats. Because well, on this article from How Stuff Works, Ridiculous History, The Use of Animals in Espionage, there is a lovely image of a dolphin in a trench coat wearing a hat. So that sums every... That is like the our totem animal for today's episode. We should be hanging out with him, for sure. Dolphin in a trench coat wearing a hat, yeah. There we go. That's setting the scene. That's beautiful. Yeah, because... Regardless of whether you hate a country or you love a country or whatever opinions you have about how countries interact, the fact of the matter is that everybody is trying to spy on each other. Mm -hmm. And and it's the tale as old as time to steal the Beauty and the Beast line. Yeah. Song as old as rhyme. There we go. Yeah. And what may surprise some of us is that not all spies were human. Noel, as you pointed out. Animals have been used in espionage. We don't have a confirmation on the dolphin trench coat phenomenon yet. Oh, you mean dolphin in a trench coat wearing a hat? Yeah. And uh, what better way to begin to explore this topic than through a specific example? What do you say? Yeah, I'm all about specific examples, Ben. And as it turns out, I have one because you see uh, there have been some stories of late about – Stuff happening off the coast of the Gaza Strip, um, where under the water, swimming with ease, uh, like Flipper even, there are some underwater creatures that are decked out not in hats and trench coats, but in high-tech surveillance gear with the intention of doing reconnaissance work. And these weren't uh, uh, frogmen <laughs> or adept swimmers. No, these were dolphins. Yes, it's true. In August of 2015, officials for Hamas alleged that a dolphin wearing spy gear, including, as Noel described, an underwater camera, uh, 
was working as a spy for the Israeli army and that uh, the Stolfin was captured off the Gaza coast. But here's the thing. Hamas was not the first government to make such claims. And right up front, there are a lot of uh, fun conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. attached to this stuff. Uh, The kind of things we would maybe talk about in our other show, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, where we apply critical thinking to conspiracy theories. For example, in um, Egypt, there were a rash of shark attacks that were blamed by some on the Israeli government. Not the same as being uh, shark spies, but it was, you know, supposedly sharks deployed for the purposes of of messing people up on the other side uh, of a uh, ideological divide. And in the case of the Egyptian report, the idea for people who believed in this was that the Israeli army was throwing sharks in the water to damage tourism. Hmm. Interesting. Seems kind of a, you know, Rube Goldberg-esque way to go about damaging tourism, but, you know. And in 2012, residents of Turkey uh, found a dead bird and they claimed that it was uh, decked out with spy equipment. Uh, I believe that was also an accusation against the Israeli government who responded by saying they had tagged the bird to track it. Right. For conservation purposes. Well, sure. That happens all the time. Mm. Um, like I think I told you before, I used to do stories about a facility in my hometown of Augusta, Georgia, called the Savannah River site, where they would track animals to determine whether nuclear cleanup efforts had been successful in these areas where they were storing like nuclear waste from um, dismantled weapons. And so that's a thing that scientists do all the time. But we're talking about things that were largely disproven. Right. But this stuff does exist. I mean, and again, it's not just in uh, other countries. It's very much a part of the history of the CIA and the United States. Yes, absolutely. We're Uncle Sam is very pro-animal spies. So despite the uh, various stories that sound kind of silly that you'll see pop up on the internet, you know, a dead bird is a master spy and all, all this other stuff, it does turn out that there are real and genuine examples of animals being trained for military operations or more specifically for this episode as spies. And it dates back quite a while. Uh, in the 1940s, uh, the famous psychologist B.F. Skinner trained pigeons to track targets and steer missiles. And, you know, we've probably all heard about pigeons being trained to do stuff, right? Isn't Mike Tyson a pigeon enthusiast? I don't know, but, I mean, you think about ravens in um, uh, Game of Thrones or something like that where they can carry messages long distances and can be trained to, you know, homing pigeons and the like. Mm -hmm. But B.S. Skinner, just to go back, his most famous experiment was the Skinner box, and it used – Operant conditioning, which basically it's sort of like the Pavlovian type of conditioning, which is classical conditioning, where you mm-hmm. can train an animal to exhibit or a human even to exhibit a certain kind of behavior um, by doing something that coincides with something else happening. So when the dog salivates, they, they ring a bell. Mm-hmm. And they can eventually get the dog to salivate just by ringing the bell. They, they offer the dog a treat. The dog salivates. They ring the bell. Do that over and over and again. Then it's just eventually the bell. it's just the bell. There's another story that's very similar. Um, in this article, the CIA's most highly trained spies weren't even human from the Smithsonian, where a uh, a man by the name of Bob Bailey was able to train a spider in the bathroom mm-hmm. of his university to go into a defensive pose by blowing on the spider, shining a light. And then doing it again, doing it again, doing it again. Before you knew it, he could just shine the light and then the spider would go into a defensive pose. But operant conditioning is just a little bit different because Skinner used these pigeons and put them in this box where he would have them press a button and they would get food when they pressed that button, when they pecked the certain button. So it wasn't coinciding. It was literally just getting them to do something on purpose, getting them to do something voluntarily once they had been rewarded uh, enough times and they saw the outcome would be in their favor. Right. And Bob Bailey is an expert. I, w- I want to go back to the spider example. I'm glad you brought this up because it, it busts a couple of myths that people may have about training animals. And from what we see, from what the experts are saying, animals are much more capable of learning than we might imagine. The only catch is to guide them toward doing something that they would already be inclined to do, right? That's, I mean, 
parrots are going to – some parrots, rather, are going to mimic speech. So now you just teach them what sorts of speech you would like them to mimic. And spiders don't like things that disrupt their web. So if they can associate that with something, then their instinct kicks in. Uh, Bob Bailey, very interesting character in this story because he was a director for the U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program, which is currently based in San Diego, California. Just based on the name, Noel, I think you know the answer to this. What, what are they involved in? Yeah, they're trying to train marine mammals to do Uncle Sam's uh, dirty work. Right, right. Yes, uh, Bob Bailey and his associates undertook this program beginning in the 1960s, and it has uh, an ancient history because it turns out the use of animals and military intelligence to our earlier example of ravens in the fictional Game of Thrones, uh, the use of animals for reconnaissance or communication, military intelligence, dates back to ancient Grecian times. And now, with the benefit of behaviorism and science and, of course, the all-consuming desire, almost lust, to uh, have an edge over the enemy, various governments, including the U.S. government, have found ways to apply spycraft to these animals. And according to Bailey... They never found an animal they could not train. And the kinds of things they were training them to do ran the gamut from surveillance, like we talked about at the top of the show, to clearing out mines underwater and to, um, you know, finding lost items and retrieving them and bringing them back to submarines and what have you and to uh, detecting explosives as well. So the, the kinds of things that you could think that you could train like a bomb sniffing dog to do, mm-hmm. you could also train a dolphin to do um, in an underwater environment. Yes. Yeah. Th- this is – startling, right? At first, it sounds like a really cool science fiction pitch, you know? It sounds like a movie that well, it's become a joke in like, like Austin Powers, you know, he's, uh, was it Dr. Evil's talking about he wants the, 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 the sharks with freaking lasers on their heads and stuff, or, you know, it becomes like this sci-fi, you know, spycraft, James Bondy kind of trope after mm-hmm. a while. Absolutely. Because the, so the marine mammal program that we introduced in 1960, uh, they originally began with more than 19 species of animals, including, they say, some sharks and some birds. And they began to whittle down their choices, looking for the best possible animal partner. They ended up with two, the bottlenose dolphin and the California sea lion. Yeah, it's because, you know, this guy, Brian Bailey, who is an animal behaviorist and an author who was um, one of the trainers in the U.S. Navy Dolphin and Sea Lion Project, which kind of got expanded to be that. Um, it, he said the more animals that they had available, the more likely an espionage agency would have success in getting their desired information, which makes sense because, you know, a, a dolphin isn't going to fit every scenario. You know, sometimes maybe you need some a cat, for example, that can uh, – go into a very high-level meeting and be undetected. And that happened as well. So we're looking at a menagerie of possible animals, right? Noel, you had said that this expanded uh, to include the California sea lion as well as dolphins. Let's let's focus on dolphins for for just a tick here because the the dolphins along with the sea lions are playing an instrumental and – continuing role in the U.S. military specifically. Dolphins and sea lions are trained by five different teams in this marine mammal program. One team specializes in detecting swimmers, and then three other teams specialize in locating mines. And this this is probably where we see some of the most amazing natural capabilities of the dolphin come into play. Oh, for sure. And not only were they detecting the swimmers and detecting the mines, they could actually disable the mines and more or less disable the swimmers by injecting them with compressed air. Uh, mm-hmm. The quote that I have says it, it had a device on their head that they could use to shoot compressed air into the body of an enemy swimmer, which I assume would wouldn't kill them, but it would disorient them or it would cause them to lose their – Equilibrium, like what? Do you, what would be the purpose of this? Why not lasers instead of compressed <laughs> air? It's, I, it's unpleasant. Surely there are some um, 
surely there are some calculations like a, a weapon that would not harm the dolphin. Mm-hmm. It's probably part of it, yeah. you know, instead of just strapping them to explosives and saying, hey, swim toward that. That's that's pretty cold blooded. Well, that was nice of them. Yeah. The the last team is trained in uh, object recovery, mm-hmm. right? So maybe not a bomb. Maybe you are retrieving a black box from a plane or something. Sure. So it's true, though. We cannot overemphasize that enough. It's true. They weren't just trained to be, like, friendly flipper checking out stuff and reporting back to the sub in kind of a lassie style. They were trained offensively. And can you imagine, man, can you imagine being underwater, swimming, like, in enemy territory? You're already probably pretty anxious. Yeah. And then... And then a dolphin comes at you <laughs> with an air gun mounted to its head? I, I like to think that there's a high-pitched squee of death. I'm, I'm looking at you, Casey. Can we get a high-pitched squee of death? There's murder in that dolphin's eyes. There's at least low-grade murder. <laughs> Inconvenience. <laughs> right. Right. So it makes sense when we're thinking about the way that dogs or canines have been trained by the military for a long, long time, right? The same process uh, occurs find the perfect species, and then look for the perfect traits. And with dogs, they began looking for the perfect breed of dog, right? Uh, German Shepherds, is, that would be one of the common examples. This program has been pretty successful. The, the Navy spent $14 million in research on it in 2007 alone. And uh, as of that time, they had 75 trained dolphins who have – actually been more successful saving lives in open water than trained humans. I guess they're just, you know, it's kind of like Bane in, in the Dark Knight. It's like, I was born in the ocean. Well, you merely adopted it. I'm sorry? Excuse me? <laughs> we need to turn that up, put on the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that character cracks me up. Apparently, they actually redubbed some of that stuff to make it easier to understand. Mm-hmm. But it still wasn't super easy to understand. It's so weird. Yeah, it's like his superpower is to be unintelligible. Yeah, that's yeah, and also you know have giant muscles. Um, it's interesting though too. There is uh, this issue of animals that like seek relationships with humans are easier to train, mm. but that doesn't mean that there haven't been uh, other attempts to train animals that you would not think would fall into that category at all. And before we get into those, let's just backtrack a little bit. We talked about at the top of the show Bob Bailey, who was the very first director of this dolphin program that the U.S. Navy came up with. Bailey's story, it goes a lot further and intersects with a couple by the name of the Breelands. Keller and his wife, Marion Breeland, had worked for that famed psychologist, B.F. Skinner, in his lab in 1947, they decided to go out on their own and they decided to start their own company, the Animal Behavior Enterprises Company, or ABE. But they weren't they weren't doing experiments on training animals to be spies for the government. Mm-mm. They were training uh, chickens to play tic-tac-toe and, you know, pigs to play the piano, um, all in the name of commercialism. Their first big gig was with General Mills, um, and they trained lots of different animals to do funny tricks to sell the feed that General Mills produced. So they were designing sets, they were writing show scripts, <laughs> and they relocate again in the 50s where they moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Which is Bill Clinton's hometown, I believe. Just a little nugget, a little aside. And once they moved to Arkansas, they opened this thing called the IQ Zoo. Will you tell us about the IQ Zoo, Ben? This is a delightful, uh, delightful phenomenon. Sure. The IQ Zoo is uh, – picture any – any endearing pet trick or animal trick that you've ever seen on America's Funniest Home Videos or on YouTube or on the a late show of some variety, IQ Zoo aimed to have them all. They had chickens that walked tightropes or gave souvenirs to customers, danced to music. They had chicken baseball, which was a thing. Uh, they had rabbits that would, quote, kiss their girlfriends, ride fire trucks, and sound sirens. Delightful. Mm-hmm. They had raccoons playing basketball and ducks playing drums. But at the end of the day, 
day, all of this was just a very lucrative display of that operant conditioning that they worked on under B.F. Skinner. Mm-hmm. And all of the while, in parallel, while this is going on and they're taking this work and selling it to the masses, um, that Navy program we're talking about is starting to ramp up and get into full swing. And our friend Bob Bailey from earlier, and he needs people just like Breland. So he gives them a call. So this group, headed by Bob Bailey, reaches out to the Brelands and invites them to come hang out in their facility, which is in a place called China Lake uh, on the edge of the Mojave Desert, where they are doing all of this research. Uh, side fact here, China Lake had neither water nor marine mammals. You know, just a, just another side note, like uh, Bill Clinton's origin story there. This wasn't Bailey's first time in the desert. He had spent time as an undergraduate at UCLA in the desert in the 1950s, where he was laying traps for kangaroo rats. So they were familiar with the sorts of techniques, right? These people were intellectual peers. They were familiar with one another's techniques and they said, hey, let's Voltron up together. Let's pursue this as a group. In 65, in 1965, Bailey agreed to join the Breelands and Animal Behavior Enterprises there in Hot Springs. And then (laughs) according to Bailey, boom, he found himself in show business. I know. It's funny because um, he was doing this serious work, which is kind of a, can be, you know, poked fun at. And from our perspective, it definitely seems a little on the absurd side. But then he went from that extreme, working for the government, to essentially doing the kinds of stuff you would do in producing like a PBS children's television show. One of Bailey's big contributions at ABE was designing something called the Bird Brain, which was a kind of Skinner box type situation that allowed you to play tic-tac-toe with a chicken. By you, I mean you, the human listener, me, Ben whomever, uh, the chicken was in this cage and it had a, a little trigger that was that had a light that flashed on it. And so the bird wasn't actually playing tic-tac-toe. The moves were pre-programmed. What? Yeah. Scandal. Yeah, it was a little bit uh, spurious. But if the bird, you know, was trained to respond to your move, so you made a move, then the light lit up and the bird did it. And there was a little corner called the thinking booth where the bird would disappear into the thinking booth to press the button and that's when the move would be made. <laughs> um, they said that there was a version that allowed the uh, uh, the person to win, um, but typically the bird always won. And uh, even B.F. Skinner himself apparently could not defeat this tic-tac-toe chicken. But it was a bit of a a bit of carny um, subterfuge there. Yeah. We're talking about you know spycraft, right? And then for an interjection, I'm sure there are a lot of folks here in the audience wondering. Wondering about this aspect of the story. Was this considered ethical? No, no, it's not. It's not considered ethical. Uh, Bailey himself notes that at the time, the um, relatively new people for the ethical treatment of animals had clocked this and they considered it unethical. But as we've examined in earlier cases of experimentation and treatment of animals, the rules weren't as established as they are today. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So let's just recap this. I know there's a lot going on here. Bailey found out about the Breelands, invited them to help him with his program, training marine life and, and birds, and we'll get into a little bit more of that later. Um, and then he ended up joining their company, mm -hmm. leaving that military life, doing this kind of more hilarious, you know, animal trick kind of side work. But then it came back around. Yes, it came back around. The more things change, the more they stay the same. It's true. You see, eventually, ABE acquired a sideline, and it was not a matter of having rubes play a rigged game of tic-tac-toe with chickens. No, you see, other agencies came calling to ABE, the CIA most particularly, and the Army's Aberdeen Proving Ground and Limited Warfare Laboratories. They came to ABE to seek unorthodox solutions to common problems, and this was at the height of the Cold War. So why would they, why would they do this? Why would the Central Intelligence Agency hunt down this group of animal behaviorists? Well, there was actually something of like a dolphin arms race at the time. The CIA had intercepted uh, Soviet intelligence indicating that they, the Soviets, were working on this as well. And that's like the kind of the joke of the Cold War, right? If we thought that the Soviets were going to do something, we had to do it better. If the Soviets thought we were going to do something, they had to figure out how to do it better. That's actually a big part of that film, uh, The Shape of Water, which I think is great. There's a really cool side story involving uh, Russian spies and trying to steal Assets from, you know, the United States. Yeah. Uh, the assets happening to be a underwater merman creature. And in this case, it was dolphins. In other cases, it was the allegations of psychic powers, right? We know that's real. Also, I have a pitch for you, everybody. Casey, you too? I'm ready. All right. Red Dolphin. Like Red Dawn? Mm-hmm. But Red Dolphin. Okay. Played by Dolph Lundgren. Is he still around? Oh, I guess he was in the um, Expendables movies. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll fix it in post. I just want to plant that seed. Is it CGI dolphin or is it Dolph Lundgren like playing a dolphin I feel and just like making his body like <laughs> tight like a dolphin? I feel like we should go with practical effect here. I think that's the smart move. That's what, that's what Guillermo del Toro would want. That is exactly what it would do. And joking aside, you're absolutely right, Noel. There, there was this arm race. There was a fear of red dolphins. And this extended to other uh, other animals as well. Uh, we do have declassified 1970s documentation that elucidates this matter and and notes that the Soviets are quote also assessing and replicating U.S. systems while possibly developing countermeasures to certain U.S. systems. But they're talking about dolphins, like in the context. They're clearly talking about dolphins, and both sides valued this. Uh, there's a great quote from Robert Wallace, who at the time was heading the CIA's Office of Technical Services in the 90s. Uh, he points out the advantages that animals have over human spies. Animals can go places people can't. Animals are unalerting. Let's say we work at a nuclear plant, mm -hmm. right, and we have secrets and stuff because those are cool. Sure, they have those. Yeah, and you you and I have our trench coats and our hats, and then we're going to be on yellow alert when we see another person that's unidentified. But if there's just a bird perched on a branch somewhere, 
then we'll probably continue whatever our conversation was. Well, that leads us to, back to corvids, which is how we started the show. I know that's one of your favorite animals. Mm-hmm. I can't stand the little buggers. But turns out they're super smart. They don't just go for shiny objects. They'll go for about whatever you train them to go for. And they're exceptionally uh, strong. They can carry quite large loads in their creepy little disgusting beaks. Mm-hmm. Um, Bailey, when he was were with ABE, they had been contracted to help out with some of these uh, animal spots scenarios, he really spoke highly of the Western Raven. And this is from that Smithsonian article by Tom Vanderbilt. Um, He says... It operates alone and it does very well alone. He says they can learn to respond to classes of objects. He gives the example, if you've got a big desk and a little desk, you could train it to always go to the small one. And there's the thing about the quite large carrying capacity they have. They could pick up, you know, file folders or, you know, even like a diplomatic dossier of some kind, Mm -hmm. but they can deposit things that have listening devices in them. They're not necessarily going to be spying themselves, but they could perch on that branch, like you said, and carry a piece of debris, seemingly, you know, totally irrelevant, mm. that had some kind of high-powered listening device in it, right? Yes. And bonus points for corvid intelligence, which could be an episode all its own. Uh, corvids can also identify specific People, they have facial recognition ability, and they also have the ability to teach that to their young. So for anyone who is also wondering uh, the same question that I've thought about off air too, is it possible to train a uh, murder of crows or an unkindness of ravens? That's the group term that follows you and teaches their young to follow you. An unkindness. Uh Uh-huh. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? Who comes up with this stuff? I feel like it's relatively arbitrary. I think it's people that don't like birds. There's a parliament of owls. Yeah, that sounds very prestigious, but an <laughs> unkindness yes. of ravens, that uh, sounds like the person that came up with that was uh, a kindred spirit to myself. <laughs> so love them or hate them, you know, it's inarguable that they have a certain set of skills, but the use of animals in espionage or the attempts of using animals in espionage don't stop with ravens and cephalopods. Even insects enter the mix. Yeah, again, from the Smithsonian article, which is a delightful read. They talk about that Army Limited Warfare Laboratory in Aberdeen having a uh, program where they were trying to figure out how to use insects, uh, quote, for the detection of people. And then this reads like it's a joke. It's like scientists ruled out lice in a preliminary test. They simply crawled about at random. <laughs> like, like you'd think bugs would do. But mosquitoes were uh, – had a lot of potential. Right. Yeah. They're normally at rest. They'll fly at the approach of a host. So they have a routine predictable behavior, right, which could maybe be guided, similar to the laser example with the spider. Since they will always rest and fly at the approach of a host, maybe you could detect the approach of people during darkness. But that's not a particularly amazing superpower. Uh, there was a, another series of trials with a different animal that might surprise people, an animal commonly regarded as one of the least trainable pets around, and that is... You're talking about herding cats? Right, the common house cat. Yeah, I'm a cat person. I think you're a cat person too, Ben, but we both know that they can be arbitrary little fellas, can't they? Yeah, cats, I have I have two cats. Uh, I used to have a dog. I love dogs and cats. I'm an animal, animal guy. Uh, but it's it's pretty obvious in many cases, not any ding on our feline friends, Noel, but cats often are more like a freeloading roommate than they are a pet. You know what I mean? They come and go. They don't pay rent. They don't do the dishes. It's true. But cats were used pretty successfully by the CIA's Directorate of Science and Technology, um, and they were trained to tune in to human voices. And I've, I'm seeing a couple of conflicting uh, accounts of this pro- this project called Acoustic 
kitty. Mm-hmm. Um, one that implies that they uh, actually surgically implanted a microphone into the cat's ear canal and the cat was trained using the same conditioning methods we talked about earlier to kind of hone in to human voices of a specific type. Um, but then I also saw an account that specifically mentioned that they were used to spy on a high-level Asian official um, during a meeting where cats were wandering in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, a thing that comes up here with if we're talking about training a cat or a dog to be a spy, it requires a situation where a cat or a dog's presence is not unusual, is not a tip off, right? Right, absolutely. So you could you could maybe get away with that in a casual informal setting, but if a cat strolls into a boardroom, right, or into the, right, of course, doing a cat whistle, then, uh, you know, the, if the cat strolls into some meeting of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or all of a sudden there's a cat in the Oval Office, people are going to notice. Who is that president in our presidential pets episode that had like a million pets? million pets and his sons brought in like some snakes or something and <laughs> threw them down on the boardroom table? That is a security breach, my friend. It's true. That that snake could have been wearing a wire. I've been waiting to say wearing a wire for a while because the cat example that we mentioned here that you that you and I heard some conflicting info on is is fascinating when we get to the idea of that surgery, right? Because according to the story, Bailey worked with the inventor of the human cochlear implant and they turned a cat into a transmitter with a wire running from the cat's inner ear to a battery instrument cluster, this kind of gross, implanted in its rib cage. And the idea was that they could direct the cat's movement with ultrasonic sound. That's it. We weren't really hearing conflicting reports. They were just two different situations. We had another one that involved a cat that was deployed um, at a park outside of a Soviet compound in Washington, D.C., um, and it was used to eavesdrop on um, a Russian operative or uh, politician. Um, that's the information that's not super clear because this stuff is kind of hearsay, and you'll hear things like a – head of state or mm. operative of some kind. But the story there is that they, they dropped the cat out of the van and then it was immediately run over by a taxi. Yeah. So sad. It is sad. It's also a bummer. I bet all the, the gadgets and stuff, whoever had the headphones on, who was listening to the cat transmissions. Oh, no. That's probably, oh, take them off. You know, That's oh, going to haunt you. Can you imagine that? So there's – Let's say there's another aspect of possible subterfuge here, which I I really appreciated and I, I imagine you did too. We may not ever know the entirety of ABE's experiments because their records were destroyed in a fire in 1989. And when Vanderbilt, the Smithsonian journalist, uh, wrote to the CIA to ask about this stuff, they turned – yep, they turned him down. Because we we're not even going to acknowledge the existence of those records in the first place <laughs> or even if the program existed practically. I mean it's very hush-hush stuff, you know, for good reason. One document they did find, however, um, referenced uh, a section called Views on Trained Cats. Very, very <laughs> – Severely redacted documents. It's censored, right? <laughs> yeah, in the, in the National Security Archive um, at George Washington University. Right. I, I love that this is a title for an official government document. Somebody, somebody who's paid to sit down and think, think it through. What are, what are my views? I, that's what I like. Views on trained cats. There are different perspectives. There's some critical theory at play. Uh, it ultimately concludes, at least from the unredacted parts that we're aware of, ultimately concludes that the cats can be trained to move short distances, but the program doesn't doesn't pan out in a practical sense. And a lot of these things that we're talking about were really replaced by more practical technological advances. Right. You know, in the same way a lot of old school spy craft has been supplanted. Like you don't have to sit in a park with a suitcase with a reel-to-reel tape recorder in it and a wire running up your leg so that you can turn it on and off when someone starts to talk. In the same way, it's probably not the most practical thing in the world to train animals to spy on people when we have, like, you know, ultrasonic listening devices and, you know, all kinds of technology that goes way over my head. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. No, we can't end the episode without mentioning the Squab Squad. The Squab Squad is my favorite part um, in this uh, Smithsonian article. Uh, this 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 reporter went really deep with uh, this guy Bailey and really got some good stories out of him. Um, and the the best one involved they actually had a like a ranch um, that was active constantly while the IQ Zoo was still doing its thing, and they had these like like storefront like fake facade town kind of like um like you'd see in an old western where it was just the front of a building mm -hmm. set up and they would run these uh different scenarios with pigeons where they would get them we, we need like the they would get directives from head from home home base from hq be like we need to get into this type of building to this inter interior room etc and they would like move the pieces around that they had and uh simulate kind of like the type of situation that the bird would ultimately be involved in down the road when the mission was live and they also did stuff in the field didn't they yeah they did actually take the show on the road so according to bailey who is not super specific about this for various reasons uh, ravens were brought to sensitive locations and he said we got the cats into places usually this is very interesting usually using diplomatic pouches a diplomatic pouch is something that can't be searched typically nowhere near as easily right? and it's for transmission of highly confidential or classified materials documents and so on so they smuggled ravens through them apparently he admits they carried a raven on a commercial flight <laughs> in a map case under the uh, the front seat. And based on the way he describes this, he says every now and then the raven would make a noise and then he would shift in his seat. So I feel like he was trying to play those raven noises off as farts. 
Yeah, or maybe just, you know, squeak, chair squeaking. Yeah, that sounds like farts sometimes. Uh, or maybe just kind of like, that's what I do when I squirm. So, am, I, am I the only one? Am I alone there? No, I think you, I, I think we're, I think you're not alone, man. We're, we're both, uh, we're both sound effect people. That's very true. Also, there is a real world scenario of this first we have to emphasize dolphins military dolphins are still a thing they're a real thing they're out there we found a story in 2005 from the guardian uh by writer named mark townsend detailing the story of a dolphin named flipper who was let loose in the aftermath of hurricane katrina and was considered armed and dangerous. What? Did he have one of those air cannons on his head? So, yes. So, did it shoot out t-shirts? Here's the, here's the thing. Dolphins were usually controlled via signals transmitted through a, a neck harness, but they were missing in action. They were MIA for a second. And uh, an accident investigator named Leo Sheridan had received confidential information confirming these dolphins had escaped during or after the hurricane, and he said the following, My concern is that they have learned to shoot at divers in wetsuits who have simulated terrorist and exercises. If divers or windsurfers are mistaken for a spy or suicide bomber, and if equipped with special harness-carrying toxic darts, so not compressed air... They could fire. They're designed, the darts, that is, to put a target to sleep so they can be interrogated later. But what happens if the victim's not found for hours? So we're back again, Noel. Imagine you've just survived a hurricane, right? You're you're trying to relax, go for a swim off the gulf. And then you hear this squee, this high-pitched squee of death. Not 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 of joy, <laughs> not, not, of joy. Not, a, not a delightful flipper sound. Ben, have you read that comic about that secret top secret uh, animal program? We three, we three, yeah, yes. That this really makes me think of that. If, oh, uh, listeners, if you haven't read We Three, it's a quickie, um, and it's it is heart wrenching. It's heartbreaking. Uh, it's wonderful, but it's about like a cat, a rabbit, and a dog, and then I think there's a super dog mm-hmm. that they they train to come after them. But right. they escape from this program, and they're wearing these kind of suits, and they're trained to kill. But they're they're animals, and they they act like animals. They communicate with each other like animals. It's kind of the closest thing to like Watership Down. It's like a sci-fi Watership Down kind Homeward of Bound vibe. Boy, it, is it good! Don't read it if it's your first time. Don't read it in public. Read it at home in a place where you can tear up mm-hmm. quietly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm really glad that you pointed that one out, Noel, because that is just a fantastic story. And in many ways, this is a fantastic story. And we, you know, we want to be clear, as we said at the top of the show, you're going to hear a lot of allegations of animals being used as spies. And many of them seem to be hysteria. Also, oddly enough, many of them seem to come from Middle Eastern countries. Did you notice that? I did notice that. And in fact, we have a very current example of that out of Iran, don't we, Ben? Yes, yes. The story of lizard spies. So according to uh, Iranian military advisor Hassan Firuzabadi, lizards were lurking around in uranium mines, attracting, quote, atomic waves and delivering intel on the government to Israel. They were lizards and chameleons. And this military advisor said that the lizard skin was capable of attracting atomic waves. So in other words – they were like canary in a coal mine type situation. You would bring this atomic wave attracting lizard and it would like dousing rod style lead you to the uranium mines. I guess so. And this is February 14th of this year. You know, as you said, this is very, very recent. It doesn't seem to check out entirely because, you know, why are they in a cave if they're cold blooded? Well, this is what he says. He says several years ago, some individuals came to Iran to collect aid for Palestine. We were suspicious of the route they chose. Um, in their possessions were a variety of reptile desert species like lizards and chameleons. We found out that their skin attracts atomic waves and that they were nuclear spies who wanted to find out where inside the Islamic Republic of Iran we have uranium mines and where we are engaged in atomic activities. He also said that the spy agencies failed every time. So, Very strange story. Very yeah. strange story. So I, I wanted to ask you before we, before we end the show, what uh, – if you could have an animal 
assistant, an animal spy. What, familiar? Yeah. What What would it be? And don't feel like you have to limit yourself to real world conditions. If you wanted to talk, that's cool too. Like, what would you want? I don't know, man. I, I I'm not real. I don't like a lot of animals. They 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 squig me out, man. I like cats, dogs. I I tolerate cats. I tolerate really, but they kind of leave me alone mainly. So. So you'd want a cat. I'd want a cat. You want yeah. your cat. I want my my cat. To be a spy and <laughs> yeah. talk. Yeah. Okay. Boy, listeners, you must think I'm a real curmudgeon. Well, no. You know, I have my moments. Nobody thinks that. Come on. Somebody online said that we were uh, delightfully corny. You know what? We'll take it. I'll take it all day long. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. And uh, we'll also take this show on the road. That's going to wrap it up for today. Oh, man. What? Oh, man. No, it's not happening again, is it? Really? Why? (laughs) It's time, gentlemen. Jonathan Strickland, the quizster. Can't even muster the energy to say his name. I thought we'd seen the last of you. You didn't really think that, did you? How could I leave it at a tie, gentlemen? If you do not recall, we are at two and two. Oh, I didn't recall. Mm. That's true. So this is the, uh, this is the not entirely consensual part of our show, friends and neighbors, wherein our nemesis, uh, the quizster visits us to test our knowledge of something at least hopefully tangentially related to today's episode what was what was today's episode i, I wasn't listening it was mainly about corvids uh, uh it was about animals and espionage we oh, did dolphins I, I am tangentially related to said topic you're tangentially <laughs> related to corvids which is true that is a fact <laughs> words can hurt Noel, but i have a i have a scenario for the twain of you. Okay. That is incorrect, but I'm using it anyway. I'm okay with All right, yeah. And, uh, of course, I always have to have some sort of uh, arbitrary rule if you are to ask any follow-up questions. It's all coming back to me. All right, yeah. So this, today, we're going to be talking about uh, World War One France, and considering that we're talking about World War One France and animals, uh, you will have to start any question directed toward me with, pardonnez-moi, monsieur Quister. <laughs> Followed by, and, and I want the accent. Okay. I cannot be more clear about this. Pardonnez-moi, Monsieur Quister. And then you may ask your question, and then I will answer it. I will point to you, and you will start your timer, which is, as we have agreed upon in the past, three minutes for you to deliberate and ask any follow-up questions you need before giving me the answer of whether or not the scenario I present to you is true or I made it up, sees. So the counting of the minutes shall be three. Three shall be the counting of the minutes, and the counting of the minutes shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, nor either thou counts to two, excepting that thou then dost proceed to three. Got it. And this, thank you for being so very thorough yes. on that note. And this begins after you After have the asked scenario the is presented, yes, because otherwise, this is another long one. They've just been getting longer. Oh boy. Okay. I, I can't help it. Mm. I mean, so, yeah, there's a lot of details I have to provide. So you talked about animals and espionage, but animals have also been frequently used by the military. Sometimes animals you would not anticipate would be incorporated into military affairs, sometimes as an unofficial mascot. Sometimes these animals would even receive interesting rewards afterwards. They would be promoted to military ranks. This is all true stuff. There's a goat that made the rank of sergeant. But that's not what this one's about. No, gentlemen, here is your scenario. <laughs> that's the one I knew. This is about Monsieur Harrison. In 1917, France's army was in a shambles during the Great War. Morale among soldiers was at a low point, and about half of all of France's regiments refused to follow orders to attack. It was the great French army mutiny. One exception was the 1st Regiment of the 41st Division, which bravely followed orders despite suffering heavy losses. The men in that division credited their tenacity to their mascot, Monsieur Ereson, a European hedgehog who was known to hold his ground, bristles out no matter what. After the war, Ereson was promoted to the rank of sergeant, even though it was later discovered the Monsieur was a mademoiselle. Begin. 
Uh, you know what? <sighs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm flying blind with this one. I'm just gonna, uh, completely arbitrarily go for true. What do you? You don't think? even want to debate. We could debate. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's. Okay. So, uh, it the misidentification. Yeah. Makes it sound a little more plausible. So, sure. So if that's a lie, that's a that's a clever addition. Well done, Monsieur Quister. May I ask you a quick query? Pardon moi. Pardon moi, Monsieur yes. Quister. But of course, go ahead with your query. Can you give me the elevator pitch version? Yours was too long and pedantic, and I have lost the plot. All right. Oui. 1917, France's army totally demoralized. One regiment in the 41st Division. Managed to keep on going, and they credited it. They, there were other regiments that also kept on going, but mm-hmm. they credited their bravery to their mascot, which was a hedgehog that they had named Monsieur Arison. And uh, then later after the war, promoted Arison to the rank of sergeant because his example gave them bravery through World War One. And it turned out to be a lady hedgehog. It turned out that mm-hmm. afterwards, a, an actual person who bred hedgehogs said, this is this is not a male hedgehog. Pardon moi, Monsieur Quistel. Uh, oui, Master Bolen. So, did this hedgehog have a rank before? No. Okay. It was a mascot. Just a. It, apparently, someone found it. The actual origins of the hedgehog are somewhat lost to history. So here's the thing, though. I know that. I know that there were, you know, common, it was a relatively common practice for mascots to occur in wartime. Sure. You know, um, usually dogs. Bunnies from time to time. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> it seems I'd rally behind a cute bunny. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, oh gosh. Okay. We're down to, we're down to just a few seconds. Okay. Good. I say true. I say true. Lock in. Bump it. Locked. I win! Three to two! Oh, the victory tastes so sweet! Oh, do you savor it? It's like syrup running all over my body. Oh, Oh, it's so good. All right. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. I get this. I get this. Oh, so nice. All right, so just so you know, uh, the French army, in fact, was in a state of mutiny Mm -hmm. in 1917. During World, the Great War, they didn't call it World War One at the time for obvious reasons. They were uh, uh, refusing to follow orders. More than uh, about half of all the divisions were refusing to follow orders, largely because the previous campaign did not meet with the success they were promised. And the Americans had recently announced they were joining the war, and a lot of French soldiers had this unrealistic but deeply, deeply optimistic hope that the American soldiers would be joining them immediately, notwithstanding the fact that it takes time to actually ship soldiers across the ocean. So the the lack of American soldiers and the lack of success with the previous campaign led to massive uh, desertions and mutinies, and uh, France was just barely able to turn that back around, and uh, they managed to do it by... You know, only having to kill like fifty-eight of the deserters. So, so the real the real story is much more grisly and less hedgehog oriented. Yeah. War, war is hell. Also, by the way, Arison is French for hedgehog. You are so proud of that one. I am really proud. <laughs> well, you know what though? I, I'm I'm proud of you, Jonathan. I'm proud of you too. Yeah, yeah. you really you really stuck it to us there. You're, you're taking the joy out of this, Noel. Well, you know, I just I, like you. Uh, no, a lot. <laughs> this isn't fun anymore. I it's care just, for you deeply. Yeah, your, we're worried about you. End your show. You know what though? Hey, this is a this is a this is a chance for a new beginning, isn't it, guys? We get to refresh, restart, rewind, recycle, reduce, and reuse, and remix, my friend. Yes. Uh, so we are going to head out. Uh, maybe maybe we'll find a mascot for this show at some point. What do you say, No. Yeah, as long as it's not a Corvid. Okay. All right. Well, to each their own. And, of course, we'd like to thank our super producer, Casey. We would like to thank Mr. Vanderbilt, who wrote the excellent Smithsonian article. Uh, also, thank you, Jonathan Quister. You're welcome. 
And of course, our regular contributor, Lori L. Dove, who wrote The Use of Animals and Espionage for How Stuff Works, and our composer, Alex Williams, who is also a pal. And most importantly, you folks, thanks for tuning in. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Noel, did you see the emails we've been getting about that Pinterest page? Well, I'm working on it, you guys. I've decided I'm okay with Pinterest. I'm making a dolphin-themed vision board um, and with some swatches, with some nice little color squares. Um, just, you know, I want, it to, I want it to represent who I am. I feel like... I feel like it would have to be a collaborative effort, so we'll have to put our vision boards together at some point. I'm doing a lot of crafty things. I like it. Yeah. Uh, we hope you like it, too. Uh, what kind of animal would you want for a spy? Let us know. And what kind of animal should be our mascot? You can write to us and tell us any of these things, whatever you wish, at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Ridiculous History. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit tomboyx.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.